as I mentioned, for today we're going to talk about plagues in Judaism, particularly about the coronavirus. Now we believe that Torah, Judaism, has a message for everything that happens. So no matter what happens to us, we can turn back to our Torah, which is rich in uh, information, in lessons, in instructions, uh, to help us deal with any issue, whether good or bad, crisis, challenge, everything, we can turn to the Torah for guidance. And so definitely today, we're probably, for most of you, are facing, um, at least on a global scale, the greatest challenge that any of us have experienced in our lifetime, except for those who maybe were old enough to remember the Second World War. Um, maybe there were some other great challenges, but this is definitely one of the greatest. And um, so we're going to, so definitely we could turn to the Torah for a message um, to hear what the Torah has to say. And so we're going to, so we'll look at what the Torah says about viruses, about plagues in general, and particularly um, the message that we have for today. So we are standing now before Passover, and often when we think of plagues, uh, we think of the plagues in Egypt. We know that Egypt was smitten by ten plagues. Uh, now most of those plagues are not plague in the common way it's referred to. In fact, the Hebrew term is the eser makot, the ten um, literally um, smitings or um, the ten um, beatings that Egypt was given rather than ten plagues. Um, in Hebrew, there's a different word for plague. The word dever is the biblical word for plague. Um, and uh, in later Hebrew uses the term magefa for plague. So while we call them the ten plagues, they weren't necessarily plague. Only one of them was an actual plague and was called Dever, and that would have been the fourth, uh, sorry, the fifth one was Dever, was plague, and that was not a human plague, but a plague of the animals. All the animals were killed in plague um, in the fifth of the ten plagues, or the Eser Makot, um, the ten um, smitings that, Israel, that Egypt was smitten with. Now, of course, we uh, could refer plague to the final plague, um, use the term plague, although it wasn't a plague as we would refer to it today. Um, the first nine of the plagues, as far as we know, did not cause the death of the Egyptians. They were extremely uncomfortable. Um, lice, frogs, blood, uh, the water turning into blood, and etc. They caused financial harm um, with the wild animals, <coughs> excuse me, destroying things, the plague of the animals, um, the hail, the locusts. Um, but the only one that actually caused, it, it killed Egyptians that the Torah records was the last, which is the death of the firstborn. But that wasn't a plague as we would normally think of it. Rather, God smote all of the firstborn Egyptians at the same moment, at exactly midnight on the night before the Exodus, on the eve of Passover. Um, and so that would be the only one that perhaps we could categorize as a human plague, although it wouldn't be a typical plague. But as we'll see later, our sages did see it as a plague and did learn from it how we should respond to plagues today. The Torah does, though, indeed tell us later that if we follow the Torah, in Shemot Tishma B'Kol Hashem Elokecha, if you listen to the voice of Hashem your God, B'Shamarta um, and you keep all of his commandments. Um, the Torah says, All the um, diseases that I placed against Egypt, I will not place on you, presumably referring to the ten 
plagues, all those things you will not get if you follow the Torah. However, later, as we go through the Torah, we discover that Jews, indeed, the Israelites, as they travel through the desert, did suffer plague. In the Torah, there are two plagues that are mentioned while Israel was in the desert. The first time is after the Korach rebellion. Um, Korach was a cousin of Moses who led a rebellion against Moses, challenging Moses' authority um, and his particularly appointing his brother Aaron as the Kohen Gadol, as the high priest. And he was led by 250, uh, he led 250 other Jewish leaders in protesting Moses' leadership. Korach himself and his two co-conspirators, Datan and Avira, and their families were swallowed up alive in the ground. The others were burned in fire. However, then the Torah tells us that Israel complained, the people of Israel complained to Moses, look, you have killed the nation of God. You have killed all these Jewish leaders. Um, they blame Moses for their death. And as a result, God caused a plague and people to die of plague. Um, the Torah tells us that at that point, Moses turned to his brother Aaron, who was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, who would offer the incense in the temple, and told him to take a pan of incense, uh, take a pan, put incense on of fire coals, uh, put incense on it, so be burning incense, leave the temple, which ordinarily, had Moses not given the instruction directly, ordinarily it is forbidden in Jewish law to offer the Ketorah, the special incense for the temple, outside of the temple, but leave the temple and walk around the camp, and Aaron did so, and as Aaron did so, the plague stopped. So by Aaron offering the incense, that led to the end of the plague. The Torah tells us that 14,700 people died from this plague until Aaron stopped it. So since those days, the offering of incense was always considered a spiritual way to stop the plague. Now, the incense we're referring to is not any incense, but particularly the Ketoret in the temple in Jerusalem. We spoke about the Ketoret two weeks ago in great detail, and we mentioned then its role in stopping plagues. Um, the Zohar tells us, now, the Ketoret in the temple was only allowed to be brought in the temple in Jerusalem. Today, we have no temple in Jerusalem, so we don't have the ability to offer incense anymore. Um, we are forbidden to do so outside the temple. We're forbidden to, from even trying to make it um, not for temple service. However, um, the Zohar tells us that we can invoke the same power of incense simply by reading the Torah readings regarding the incense and by reading the Brita, which is the oral traditions of the Pitum HaKetoret, of the order of how the Ketoret, the incense, was made. So, and it's Definitely a suggested thing to do throughout the generations. Our sages have always suggested when Jews were faced with plague to regularly read the Ketoret, to regularly read the incense, both the sources the, the, as sourced in the Torah, as well as read the incense the way they are, uh, 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 the way it's explained in the words of our sages in the Brita of Pitom HaKetoret. I will, at the end, God willing, um, post a link to that so you can all download it yourself. You can read it. I would encourage everybody to read the Ketoret daily. It's an excellent way to counter, a spiritual way to counter plague. The second time we find plague, that's the first time plague is found in the Torah. The second time we find plague in the Torah is while the rebellion that we just mentioned, the plague we just mentioned happened the second year they were in the desert, right after they entered, came to the desert. The 
The second plague is, happened 39 years later, or at the very, very end of their time in the desert, right before they're ready to enter the Promised Land. And at this point, they're standing at the edge of the Promised Land, just over the Jordan River, next to a nation called Moab. And the Torah tells us in the portion of Balak that after Bilam, a prophet hired by the Moabites to curse Israel, failed in cursing Israel because God did not let him, Bilam came up with another suggestion. He suggested that uh, Moabite women and Midianite women attempt to seduce Jewish men and as a condition for their services to require them to worship their Peor idol, and that way get God angry at the people, and God will then punish the people, and that will allow Moab, who was afraid of the people, to overcome Israel. And so indeed they do that. The Moabite and Midianite women were successful in seducing Jewish men and getting them to worship the Peor idol. As a result, a plague broke out. The Torah tells us that 24... Sorry... The Torah tells us As a result, a plague... What happened? So as a result, as we were just saying, um, 22,000 um, Jews were killed from the plague that broke out. Um, the plague only ended once the plague only ended once Pinchas killed um, Zimri. Zimri had been a Shimonite leader who um, had Zimri had been a Shimonite leader who um, who um, publicly um, had relations with a uh, Midianite princess called Kazbi. And when Pinchas saw that, he killed them both there on the spot. And as a result, the plague suddenly ended. God thanks Pinchas for his extreme act and um, for saving Israel from the plague. But still, as we mentioned, 22,000 were killed. The, the, um, the, uh, the other time that we find plague in Scripture is in the book of Shmuel, in the book of Samuel. At the very, very end, last chapter in Samuel 2, we tell, speak about King David. It tells us that David made a mistake and began to count the people. 
Now, the Torah tells us that we're not allowed to ever count people. Um, we must always be careful um, when they counted the people in the desert. It was always with the half shekel coin. So they would use the half shekel coin. Everybody would give a half shekel coin and then they would count the shekels. But you're not allowed to go from person to person and count people. It arouses what we call an ayin hara, an evil eye. We did a class a little while ago about the ayin hara, about the evil eye. Um, and we spoke more in detail about that. But David made this mistake where he did ask Yoav, his, the leader, his, his commander-in-chief of his army, to count the people. Um, as a result, the, um, the book of Samuel tells us that the prophet God came to David and gave him three choices of punishment. Said you can either suffer from seven years of famine or you can be uh, flee from your enemy. Israel can be captured by the enemy for three months. Or Israel can suffer from three days of plague. So what would you choose? Seven years of famine, three months under the control, being under control of the enemy, or three days of plague? David chose three days of plague. David said, better to be in the hands of God than in the hands of man. Under the control of the enemy, you're in the hands of the enemy. In a famine... There's a limited food supply. Who controls the limited food supply? People. Whether it's government, whether it's, um, whether it's the wealthy, people control the food supply. When it comes to a plague, a plague doesn't see the difference between rich and poor. Doesn't choose between government officials or commoners. Everybody, aristocrats or regular people. Everybody is the same before the plague. And so we're all in the hands of God. David said, Nipna labna biyad Hashem, better let us fall in the hands of Hashem. Adam al let us not fall in the hands of man. So, having chosen plague, a plague broke out, and we're told 77,000 people in Israel died from the plague. David, the prophet God, came to David. David asked the prophet God, What can we do to stop this horrible plague? God said it is time, God Anavi said it is time to purchase land to prepare for the building of the temple. They had already set aside land, um, in, they had already known that the temple would be built in Jerusalem, which was now David's capital. Um, the land that David wanted to build a temple on was a mountain that belonged to a Jebusite called Aravna. And David went to Aravna and purchased this land um, of the now that we now call the Temple Mount from Aravna, um, he purchased the land in order to begin building the temple and began with the preparations of the temple. David himself is not going to build the temple. God had told him that he would not build the temple, but he prepares the land, builds the foundations, and prepares the land for the temple so that his son Solomon is able to later build the um, temple. So, um, so that was one thing that the, the, we're told in the book of Samuel that they did to counter the plague, and indeed the plague stopped. Our sages in the book of Sanhedrin tell us that at that time, the sages of the Sanhedrin, the le religious leadership, Sanhedrin was the Supreme Council of Judaism, in the days of King David, at David's request, made a rule that every Jew should recite a hundred, 100 blessings every day. And they actually structured the prayers 
The way the prayers are structured is that we say daily blessings in our prayers. Our Shemona Esrei, our Amida, the silent prayer, has 19 blessings in it every morning when we wake up. We say, and we do that three times a day, the Amida, every day morning when we wake up, we say a series of 18 blessings. And then throughout the day as we eat, we make blessings before we eat, we make blessings after we eat. And a person who does all the required blessings daily should reach on most days up to 100 blessings a day. And indeed, during the time of, and that is the way to counter plague. And indeed, as a result, because of what the Talmud tells us about the solution in the days of King David, whenever Jews were faced with plague, in addition to the Ketorah, the incense that we mentioned earlier, another spiritual solution that Jews always did was to recite regular blessings, to recite regular prayers and be very careful to recite the blessings. And I encourage everybody, since we are now in such a time, um, a spiritual way to counter it would be to recite these 100 blessings um, every day or to recite at least as many blessings as one can. Um, in addition to regular prayers, I would encourage you, when you wake up in the morning, there are a series of 18 blessings we say every day, thanking God for everything he has given us for allowing our um, bodily functions to work, something we really appreciate in a time when a lot of people around us are sick, for giving us our soul, for allowing us to wake up, for allowing us to stand up for, and everything that we're able to do. I would encourage everybody to try to read these, those blessings daily. Um, in addition, every time before we eat, we should make a blessing thanking God for the food before putting anything in our mouth. And in the same way, after we eat, we should also make the blessing thanking God for the food. I will post links after the class on my Facebook feed so that you will all be able to see those um, so you will all be able to see those um, blessings. I would encourage everybody to try to make as many blessings as possible. But say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God. And um, in the, at the proper time, we're not allowed to just make blessings without a reason. Uh, but make those proper blessings at the right time. It's definitely a way to counter our plague. So, um, so that's the only time that... Um, plague is mentioned explicitly in Tanakh in scripture. There are other times that we're told in the future times before the coming of Moshiach, there will be plague. Um, and so um, perhaps um, there's been many plagues throughout history. Moshiach is not here yet, but we never know. We always hope for Moshiach to come. And maybe now is the time we're getting closer. Maybe Moshiach will be coming very soon. Um, the, uh, so there were, of course, plagues throughout history. Um, plagues have always been a part of history in every nation, every community. Plagues have struck multiple times in every generation. Thank God today we live in a time that outbreaks like we're currently seeing are extremely rare to the point that I don't know if anybody alive today remembers a plague on this scale. Apparently the last one is in, was in 1918. You'd have to be well over 100 years old um, to remember such an event. Uh, we've had some smaller events, um, but definitely not on such a scale. However, throughout our history, before we had modern medicine, modern communication, um, plagues were very common. And as Jews, we have dealt with plagues throughout our history. But definitely the most noticeable, the most uh, notable plague um, in history was the Black Plague, which struck both in Asia and in Europe. Um, it struck Europe between 1348 and 1351. During that plague, it's estimated that a third to a half of Europe's population mm -hmm. died during that plague. Um, the Christians across Europe 
The Christians across Europe blame Jews for spreading the plague, claiming that Jews did not die from the plague. Now, there were some later writers that suggested that Jews died in lower numbers because of Jewish hygiene. And Jews did have much better hygiene than our neighbors. We always wash our hands every morning when we wake up. Before eating bread, we wash our hands. Um, Jews are required to bathe at least once a week before Shabbat. Um, today, of course, we use the daily showers. Um, but there was a time when most people didn't shower on a regular basis. Jews always showered at least once a week before Shabbat. This is before we had running water. Showering wasn't really a big deal. Um, Judaism has general rules about cleanliness. Uh, we are forbidden from having feces or other um, things of dirt or, that, or things that smell around our home. We're forbidden from saying blessings when there's a smell around us or from praying. So we generally had better cleanliness than our neighbors. However, the truth is that there is no evidence that Jews died in lower numbers during the Black Plague than, or any other plague. In fact, we have records of Jews dying both during the Black Plague and during most other plagues. Um, in all likeliness, uh, given that Jews were almost entirely urban um, during the Middle Ages in Europe, um, and given that urban communities die in much higher numbers than rural ones do, as we're seeing now, where the centers of um, our current plague, our, our coronavirus, are mostly in very large cities, um, because the numbers lead to greater spread. Uh, given that Jews lived in cramp quarters and ghettos throughout Europe um, in large numbers, um, chances are the Jews in fact died in higher numbers. So we don't know one way or another, but definitely Jews were blamed. And the, their non-Jewish neighbors claimed that Jews were dying in lower numbers. It started in Zurich, um, where in 1348 Jews were burned alive and the rest of the Jews were expelled. Um, in Strasbourg, the mayor used his um, soldiers or police to um, stop the mob from attacking the Jews. As a result, the council voted out the mayor, um, put in a new mayor that allowed them to attack the Jews. Um, throughout Europe in Mainz, uh, in Strasbourg, 2,000 Jews were killed. In Mainz, 6,000 Jews were killed. Um, across Europe, we know at least tens of thousands of Jews were killed. And this was despite a proclamation from Pope Clement VI that Jews were innocent and not the cause of the plague. And, however, the Black Plague definitely led to the decimation of many Jewish communities across Europe. In fact, following the Black Plague in the second half of the 14th century, life for the surviving Jews in Europe throughout Western Europe became much, much worse. Um, they would soon be forcibly converted in Spain, expelled from France and from many um, principalities in, across Germany. German, Germany was then not a country, but many principalities. And so... Um, it would lead, as a result, to mass migration to Poland and Eastern Europe. So what do we do during plagues? How does the Torah, how, does, how do our Jewish sources tell us to respond to plague? So the Talmud in Bavakama on 60b offers a couple of responses that we should have to plagues. Firstly, the Talmud quotes a Brita. Um, that says that when there is plague, one should go indoors, as we found during the death of the firstborn in Egypt, 
We know that when the firstborn died in Egypt, God instructed all of Israel must be in their homes, must put blood on the doorposts, and must stay in their homes the entire night. They are not allowed to leave their homes. So while there was that plague of the death of the firstborn, all of Israel had to have stayed inside their homes. They were not allowed to leave their homes. Talmud says in the same way when there is plague, stay at home. Today they call it quarantine. Stay home. Don't leave your home. Uh, Lock yourself in your home. Now, commentaries debated this um, statement of the Talmud. One of the great uh, classical Talmudic commentaries, the Marsha, Reb Shmuel Edels, who lived in the 1600s, points out that it's actually a better option to flee town than to go indoors. But if you cannot leave, going inside works as well. Now, just to put things a little bit in perspective, it's important to recognize that while today we're suffering from a plague that is a result of a virus, when we suffered from plagues throughout history, there were many different reasons for those plagues, many of which they did not understand at the time. Today, with modern medicine and science, we have a much better understanding. The most common form of plague actually was bacterial infection, such as typhus, malaria. Um, and those are bacteria infections that are not, bacteria infections are generally not passed person to person um, from as, as viruses are. Rather, bacteria infections are usually passed by fleas or mosquitoes. So while social distancing helps for viral infections, it doesn't help for bacterial infections. In fact, going inside isn't really going to help much because so long as those fleas or mosquitoes can get inside, the bacteria, uh, those fleas and mosquitoes can pass the bacteria to other people as well. Um, Thankfully today, thanks to antibiotics, thanks to modern hygiene as well, um, we have been able to eradicate most bacteria-based plagues in modern countries, there are places in the world today um, that still suffer from bacteria-based plagues. Um, When there is a bacteria-based plague, staying at home, social distancing is not a solution. Rather, one needs to leave town. That is the best solution. Now, of course, leaving town has a downside with it as well, that it's also the best way to spread the plague to the next town when people leave people that are already infected will often take the plague with them, and that's, of course, how plagues spread from town to town. Um, So it may not always be ideal. However, there was also another type of plague. In fact, the most common plague um, historically in earlier times uh, was the plague of cholera. Now, cholera, we know today, um, or was called in Yiddish cholera, Cholera, we know today, is actually not an infectious disease at all. Cholera comes from bacteria that is found in the water supply. So it's essentially poisoned water. And it doesn't pass from person to person at all. Cholera only goes into the people who drink the water. And so when there is... Now, they didn't know that back then. Um, They didn't know that there was a difference between, say, typhus, malaria, cholera, and different and viral-based plagues. Um, They didn't understand that. But today we know definitely that cholera, which was the most common form of plague historically, leaving town was really the best way to avoid getting sick. Because usually it was only those towns that were 
that had, were supplied by that water source, whatever it was, that river or whatever it was, that had the cholera, while other towns that had other water sources that generally did not have the cholera. The other great threat from infectious disease that they suffered from historically that, thank God, we don't deal with anymore was smallpox. Smallpox was something that generally infected children, um, similar to chickenpox that many adults today still remember, um, infected children because the adults generally already contracted it before adulthood. Um, except unlike chickenpox, um, which was dangerous but not as dangerous, smallpox killed one in three children when it hit. So smallpox essentially reached every community or every generation, and when it hit, it would kill one in three children. And so um, we are told that when smallpox hits, um, the, uh, Yeshaya Horowitz famously writes, and it's the Shalah, as he's called, and it's quoted in the Magen Avraham, a classical commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, on the Code of Jewish Law, that when smallpox hits town, everyone must take their kids out of town and flee, go somewhere else to avoid your children contracting smallpox, uh, avoid your children dying from it. Thankfully, um, already almost 200 years ago, they were able to um, come up with a vaccine for smallpox. Uh, it was the first vaccine that was created. Thankfully, we have eradicated smallpox and we don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, so, but in reality, as we've said, the solution throughout much of history, the classic answer to plagues was quarantine and social distancing, um, as we're seeing today. We know described in um, the writings of Remendula Vitebsk, who was a um, Hasidic rabbi who lived in Tiberias in Israel, um, that when a plague broke out in Tiberias in 1786, he writes how a group of Hasidic families locked themselves in a courtyard. They then lived in homes um, around a single courtyard, kind of a gated community, as you would think. Um, a group of Hasidic families locked themselves in their gated community for two months starting from right after Purim, which is exactly when we happen to lock ourselves in um, this time around this year. Um, and it lasted for two months. They were locked in. Nobody left the courtyard. They, had enough, they got enough supplies to start with for them for two months. And they did not leave the courtyard for two months to ensure that they do not get, catch the plague. Apparently it was viral because, as he writes, none of their group um, did catch the plague. Social distancing worked. In a plague in 1831, Rabbi Akiva Eger, one of the great Jewish thinkers, who was a rabbi in Posen, um, which is today in Poland, then it was Germany, um, encouraged groups to pray in very, very small minyanim, very small generally. We pray in quorums and groups of ten in a minyan, um, but often synagogues have very large groups. He encouraged everyone to pray in groups of 10 to 15 people, not more, and he encouraged to use guards, um, if necessary, local police, and place them at the synagogues to ensure that not more than 10 to 15 people pray at the time. Again, not to encourage too much, um, uh, to, not uh, that people should not pass the plague to each other. He also encourages people to take care of themselves, uh, make sure they eat properly, um, make, sure they, uh, make sure they're dressed warm, make sure they take care of themselves. Now, there's also other Talmudic advice um, for dealing with plagues, in addition to the social distancing that we mentioned earlier. The same Gemara in Bavakama tells us that normally, um, regularly, one should walk down the middle of the road. One should never walk on the side of the road because the angel of death is found on the side of the road. 
However, when plague strikes, one should walk on the side of the road and not walk down the middle of the road. Because when there's plague, the angel of death is found on the, in the middle of the road. And therefore, one should walk on the side of the road. Now, what does this mean? So, um, one of our um, great scholars, Reb Shlomo ben Shimon of Dor- uh, um, Doron of Algiers, um, known better as the Rashbash, um, he lived in the 1400s. Um, he explains that, the Rashbash explains, that normally a person has to always try to find balance in life. Don't go too far this way, don't go too far that way. You've got to be hygienic, but you can't overdo it. You can't wash your hands every five minutes. You've got to, you don't want to um, be too much on top of other people, but you don't want to distance yourself socially. You want to take care of your health, um, but not too much. You want to make sure you get enough rest. Don't want to overdo it. One always needs to take the middle path in life. Maimonides famously writes about this in great detail in his Hilchot um, Deot, um, Laws of how a person should act, that one should always take the middle path in everything in life. Taking the extremes is never healthy. However, not never healthy, however, the exception is during a time of plague. During a time of plague, one must, says the Rashbash, one must go to the sides of the road. The middle path, just doing the regular is never good. One must take extremes. Extremes in what, says the Rashbash? Extremes with sanitation. Things that one normally would be considered extreme. Washing one's hands every five minutes. um, Making sure not to touch anything. um, Making sure that you have adequate food. Making sure that you eat very healthy. Make sure that you rest. um, That you're very, very well rested. Rest, of course, is very important for ourselves in case, God forbid, we do catch um, something um, to be able to fight it. And of course, make sure that we have a very strong positive attitude. Normally, a person has to be positive and realistic. During a time of plague, a person has to go to the extreme in making sure they have positive attitude. The Talmud gives us another instruction. The Talmud gives us another instruction um, for when plague strikes. The Talmud says we should avoid going alone into a synagogue when plague strikes. Don't go alone into a synagogue. What does that mean? So the Rashbash, um, Reb Shlomo Doran of Algiers, explains that this means that when plague strikes, one cannot only think about themselves. It's not a time to just worry about taking care of oneself. You have to take care of yourself and your family too. But you've got to think about the community. We've got to take care of the entire community when plague strikes. We're all in this together. We all have an impact on each other. We all need to take precautions in order to protect each other. So today we face an unexpected an unimaginable situation. I don't think anybody, um, except for those few, um, uh, those few um, um, people who that has been their life mission to um, speak about um, infection, infectious disease problems. But for most of us, nobody thought that this would happen. So, but it's important to know that when we're in this kind of situation, the Torah gives us directions of how we are supposed to respond. Firstly, the first and perhaps most important thing is we must be careful with our health. The Talmud tells us that the Torah says that when 
someone hurts somebody else, if someone harms another person, they must pay damages. And among the different forms of damages they have to pay, they have to pay their medical expenses. Says the Talmud, and the Torah uses the term, and he shall pay for healing, he shall surely pay for healing. The Talmud says, why does, what, that this teaches us, that if you have to pay for someone's medical expenses, that means that you are required to seek medical help when hurt. When somebody is hurt, when someone's, in, when someone's sick, they must seek medical help. In the same way, just as we must seek medical help, we must listen to what medicine tells us and what accepted medical practices tell us is the healthiest thing to do. The Talmud points out the reason why it says verapo yerape, it has the word twice, um, he shall pay for the healing, he shall pay for the healing, is to tell you that one must seek medical help, not only if you are harmed by another person, but even if God harmed you. You got sick by nature, nature harmed you. You still must seek medical help. And so whenever in trouble, we must seek medical help. And that means we must respect medical knowledge and respect um, the respect um, scientific instruction. We must also be careful not to harm one another. We are all in this together. The acts of one person can cause great harm to, the, to somebody else. One person who perhaps doesn't even know that they are sick can pass on um, a virus to somebody else. It's very important that we take every effort not to harm somebody else. The Talmud tells us in Bava Kama 27 that we have to be more careful not to hurt others than we need to be careful not to hurt ourselves. So we must be extremely careful to always, we must take care of ourselves physically, but we must also be very careful not to hurt anybody else. And that means even if we're not afraid of being harmed, um, we should know that we have to be careful to make sure that others are not harmed either. We also must make sure that we are not only take care of ourselves physically, but we also take care of ourselves emotionally. We have to be in a positive state of mind to be able to overcome our challenges. If we're not positive, if we don't have hope, um, our sages tell us we must always have what's called bitachon, hope, belief that God will help us and that ultimately God is in control of the situation. Well, we have to do our part rather than worrying about what will happen. And many of us are worried about what will happen, whether physically, whether financially. A lot of us are now in a difficult financial situation. Um, we have to always trust God. Uh, the, it says in Psalms, Hashlech el Hashem Throw your worries to God. Let God worry about it for you. He will take care of it. Let him deal with it. And we just do what we're supposed to do. And finally, it's important to always know that we have a mission and purpose in everything that happens. So we are able to respond into everything that happens. And we are able to do, find something to do with everything that happens. So rather than a lot of people have time on their hands now, um, some, some of us are working from home, but at least we don't have the commute time. Some of us are not working at all. We have time or can, definitely cannot do a lot of social things that we would have done. Don't waste your time watching Netflix. Don't waste your time surfing the web. Figure out what you could do to make a difference. 
the story is told about the great Mashpia, the great Hasidic teacher, Remendel Futterfass. Remendel um, was arrested in the Soviet Union for teaching um, and um, teaching about Judaism and um, actively um, uh, actively organizing uh, Judaism in the Soviet Union, which was illegal. Um, he was arrested and he spent 10 years in the Soviet labor camp in the gulags. And so he told the following. He said that when he was in the gulags, he sat with many other intellectuals because the Soviets would um, arrest and uh, imprison intellectuals more than anyone else. And so there were doctors, lawyers, professors, different intellectuals. And they were once sitting around as a group in the gulag when they had some free time. And everyone was talking about their life prior to imprisonment. This one had been a prominent doctor. This one had been a prominent lawyer. This one had been a prominent government official, a prominent journalist, um, a prominent professor, teacher. And they were all talking about their lives prior to their arrest and how they've lost everything that they had. They lost what they had. And then Remendel said that he was silent throughout this conversation. And then the people turned to him and said he was um, the wise Jew. And they said, what are you missing? What was your life like before, the, uh, before imprisonment? And he said, to tell you the truth, my life hasn't changed. They said, what do you mean it hasn't changed? Did you not have a job before imprisonment? He said, yes, I did. And actually, before we were imprisoned, uh, I did have a job. He actually had one of the um, Soviets that allow for small businesses um, in certain situations. He ran a small business, which was somewhat successful. Um, and he had been somewhat successful uh, before his imprisonment. He also had a wife, children, family. Um, he was a teacher. He had students. However, he said that was not his life. That was not his occupation. His occupation was fulfilling his mission for which God sent him to on earth. And so when he was doing it at home, when he was doing it at work, that was his way of filling his mission. Now in Soviet Gulag, he still has a mission and he's still fulfilling his mission. So he's still doing the same job. The job description may have changed, but he's still fulfilling his mission. And the same is true for us today. While we may not be doing our job that we normally do, um, while our lives may have taken a total change um, for now, um, during this time, we have to know that we still have the same mission. We still have the same role. God placed us here and in this position, every one of us are in a similar position today for a reason, in order for us to make an impact, in order for us to do something about it. So to conclude in the fi our, my final words, and Torah's advice for our response to coronavirus today. Firstly, be very careful about your health. The Torah encourages us to be careful about our health and be careful to protect others, including social distancing. Be careful with hygiene. Um, be careful with social distancing as experts are advising. That's number one. Number two, um, be very careful to always try to be in a positive state of mind and trust, um, believe in God. Um, number three, let's make, make sure to respond spiritually. Add in your prayers. You, we can, uh, it's an opportunity to pray. We have more time on our hands. Um, read the Ketorah, which we mentioned earlier. Um, recite your blessings in the morning. Recite blessings before and after eating. Um, they um, in, respond spiritually. 
And finally, try to make an impact. A lot of people need your help right now. There are a lot of people who are alone that would ex in, uh, appreciate a well call. Um, if you are alone and would appreciate a well call, reach out and call somebody else who you think could also, would also appreciate it. Reach out to others. Let's connect with each other. Um, thank God we believe that God is always makdim rifu'at lamaka. Always brings the solution before he brings the plague. And uh, I believe God will soon bring the ultimate solution to this plague, and we'll see it very soon. Uh, but for now, God has given us an amazing way to cope with the plague. Um, had this happened 10 years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago, we wouldn't have the technology that we have today. Today we have the ability to call, to FaceTime, to interact with others, reach out to your friends, reach out to other people, uh, people who you know well, people who you don't know well, reach out to your neighbors, connect. Everyone needs that connection during this time. Um, and just your one phone call can make all the difference. I found, um, as a rabbi, I call people all the time. Uh, most of the time that I call people, I get answering machines. Most people don't want to speak to me, um, or they're busy. Um, and uh, some call me back. But um, now, as I call people, everyone I call picks up. Call your friends. Everybody would appreciate a phone call. Um, make an impact during this time. I invite you to join us again over the coming weeks. Um, we will, or the, or the coming days, we will try to have a daily class at 9.30 a.m. every morning. I will continue my Sunday class. Next Sunday, our topic would be, will be the sacrifices in the temple. And tomorrow, I will do another class on the book of Psalms. Last Monday, we did chapter 1. Um, tomorrow, I will teach chapter 2 in the book of Psalms, 9.30 a.m. Please join me here on Facebook Live.